In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Seeing is believing. I'll believe that when I see it. The voyage of discovery is not about seeing new landscapes, but about having new eyes. Seeing it and doing it are two different things. Sometimes you need more distance in order to see things clearly. Two people can look at the same thing and see something completely different. There's a lot to say about seeing, isn't there, about the act of looking at something or someone and what it means and what each person takes away from it. Those are only some of the sayings that I could think of off the top of my head, and I'm sure that you can think of more sayings and idioms and wisdom about the gift of sight. And the truth is, for all of us who can see, who have that gift, it is still a bit of a mystery. It is literally in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help myself. For example, I would tell you that I see things a particular way. I am the finder in our house because my slightly photographic memory lets me see where everything is. I can remember where things are. I can find the lost keys, the lost wallet, the piece of paper on the table, pretty much any time, having just seen it once for a second, because I can see it in my head after I've seen it in real life. However, if my wife was preaching this sermon, she'd be quick to tell you that there are many things around the house that I don't see. (laughs) And perhaps if you're married, you know what I mean, and that's enough said there. Seeing is experiential. It's contextual. What we see depends not just on the light around us, not just on the location or the situation, but also how engaged our brains are and what's going on inside us, whether our hearts and our minds will emotionally allow us to see and experience things clearly. It depends on what our bodies and our, and our senses are willing to take in. Our sight is influenced too by memory, by emotion, and by many other things. For example, if you're an artist, we might say by perspective. So it's true that seeing things affects us differently. Some of us can weep when we look at a particular painting or a piece of art. For some of us, seeing a movie is magic or comforting or transformative. And all of us, I think, after this pandemic, know what it is to need a change of scenery, to get out of our houses and see something else and how refreshing it is to fill our eyes with something different. In the gospel this morning, our passage begins with a couple of Greeks suddenly appearing and saying this famous line that has been carved in pulpits all over the world. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it's been pointed out by many scholars who are smarter than I am that we don't actually know exactly what they mean by this phrase. Maybe they want to see him because they have a problem they want him to fix because they've heard that he can perform miracles. Maybe they want to see him because they think he's a joke and they're going to mock him or make fun of him. Maybe they don't believe in what he can do and they want to prove that he's making it up. Maybe they even want to try to hurt him. Who knows? All of these things have been suggested about the intentions of the Greeks. And it's true that we don't actually know what their motivations were, but for generations, our tradition has predominantly heard this sentence one way, and that is why it is carved in pulpits in churches all over the world. Most of us hear this as a deep, desperate, meaningful plea for faith. I hear it the same way. As Christians, when we come to the text, 
in scripture, we always have to walk a little bit of a fine line. As Episcopalians, we believe that scripture tells us something fundamentally true, many fundamentally true things actually about God and about Jesus, about salvation, and even about ourselves, about the nature of humanity, who we are and why we're here. And one of those truths that we hear over and over again in scripture is that Jesus comes to fulfill the law to fulfill prophecy. In fact, he tells us that himself several times. He doesn't come to abolish the law and the covenant that God made with the people of Israel, but to fulfill it. So in our first text today from Jeremiah, when we hear about the love God has for God's people, for Israel, for our Jewish brothers and sisters who have inherited this covenant, as Episcopalians, we believe that this is true that it is real, that it still holds today, that God chose Israel. And as promised in the prophets and in Hebrew scriptures, it would be through Israel that God saves the world. This is the promise. Enter Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill that promise, to save the world through Israel. Not to undo the covenant or to choose a different people, but to add us in, in some way, to save the whole world by sort of grafting us into the plan of salvation that was already present, um, like a, a branch attached to a tree a little bit too late, and it has to be sort of grafted in and attached. All of us who are not Jewish, who are not part of the original covenant or part of God's chosen people, find our entrance in Jesus. We become chosen because of him, because of his story. In what Jesus does for us on the cross and in his ensuring that the salvation is for the whole world. It's important for us to walk this fine line and to honor what we hear in Hebrew scripture, to honor the stories about this original covenant that God makes with God's chosen people, because we aren't better. We aren't more chosen, you and I who came along later, and Israel is no less chosen than they were from the beginning of time. It's just that you and I, we are chosen differently. And ultimately, that's what this passage is about. The Greeks who come to Jesus at the beginning of this passage represent the world. They represent the rest of us, those who weren't originally inheritors of the promise of God. And they show up in the gospel today and are pointed out really quite bluntly by John's gospel so that we don't miss it. The Greeks have come to the festival, but they've come to the festival to see Jesus. And what they say is no different than what any of us says, particularly when we are hurting, when we want comfort, when we are lost, when we need reassurance, when we want to know that Jesus is with us and that our faith is well-placed. We wish to see Jesus. In other words, We've heard about this man who can do these amazing things, who teaches and performs miracles, who prays and heals and breaks the rules of nature and of society. And we want to see him, to know that he's real. We want to see for ourselves, to be in the same space as him, to hear him, to let our eyes take him in. Honestly, it's no different than Thomas, who after the resurrection wants to see Jesus in order to know that he's alive, who wants to have that experience for himself, to see it with his own eyes. I believe that our Greek friends say this sentence in the same way, with a deep longing for assurance, for peace, for knowledge, for certainty. 
And it's clear in the disciples' response that they haven't figured all this out yet, and they don't quite know what to do, because Philip hears this. Philip, who who comes from a Greek-speaking place, so it makes sense that the Greeks would go to him. Philip doesn't know what to do, so he goes to Andrew, sort of like you would if you needed to go to the teacher and you wanted a buddy to tell the story that you needed to tell the teacher. It's like he, it's like he has to go get help or something. Um, and so these two disciples, I, I think, really sort of wondering, you know, what do we do with these Greek guys? They're not like us. Why do they want to see Jesus? But they go to Jesus together anyway, and they tell him. And Jesus responds with this really sort of mysterious teaching, a mysterious teaching that explains actually why the Greeks are here to see him, that like a grain, he will fall to the ground and die. And from his death will come much fruit because his death is the gateway to abundant life. And in his death, when he's lifted up from the earth on the cross, that death, that promise, that new covenant will draw all people. So while the text tells us that he says this to indicate the kind of death he's going to die, what he's also doing is indicating the kind of life the rest of us will live. Because he does this, he creates a new path. And that path is for all people. And if you look at the text just for a second, it is very, very clear. All people. There are no exceptions there. I will draw all people to myself. This is echoed in our epistle that says Jesus becomes the source of salvation for all who obey him because of his life and because of his death. So this exchange that we hear in the gospel this morning, a week before Holy Week, is a crucial one. A week before his final journey to the cross, a week before everything we know that is about to happen, we hear this exchange, this desire from the Greeks, from the rest of the world to see Jesus, and he doesn't just acknowledge it. He expands the mission, he expands the covenant, and he makes room. He makes a path for us, for you, for me, and we can find in this mysterious teaching the insurance, the assurance that you and I belong. However, there is always an invitation. And in this case, the invitation is that we have to want to see. And to see in the fullness of what that means. So next week, as we take the journey of Holy Week, you will be invited to see Jesus again in many different ways to see this story that makes us who we are, this story that is at the heart of our faith, at the heart of who we say we are as Christians, this story that promises us life. Together, we will watch it play out again throughout the whole week, beginning with a triumphant entry into Jerusalem and traveling with Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond it. And so in this week before Holy Week, when we are encouraged to want to see May you prepare yourself for that story, to see it and to see it differently, to see it with new eyes, to try it on in new ways, to imagine yourself a part of it in new places. May you take time to watch it play out, to hear the words, to be part of worship, and to carry this story with you in your prayers, in your thoughts, in your body. May you want, like our Greek friends, to see him. May that be the thing you want most.
May you have new eyes and new perspective. May you be changed by what you see in him and about him. So changed that you actually become part of helping others to see and believe as well. And as you behold the cross and make your way to it, remember that seeing is never just in one direction. Remember that this savior who is lifted up also sees you, all of you, and allows himself to be lifted up and then to fall to the earth and die like a grain in order that new fruit might be born in you, in order that you might be drawn to him, in order that you might know eternal life. May your motto, your mantra, your song, may every ounce of your being this week practice saying over and over again, I wish to see Jesus. Amen.